0: Hey, how's everybody doing? This is Craig here. Welcome to episode 38 of the Bass Lessons Melbourne Player Profile podcast. Um, This podcast is made possible by the awesome guys over at FBass who have been hand-making basses and guitars for 40 years they started in 1978 and they offer vintage inspired instruments as well as original modern fretted and fretless designs um massive fan of sp of f bass as many of you probably know so i highly recommend you um checking them out if you get the chance and also um David Galea over on um, Bass Face Strings, which is at www.bassinyourface.com.au. Um, he is actually offering free delivery on um, all Ken Smith strings just now. So, Baseface Face Strings are the importer for Ken Smith Strings. And at the minute, to celebrate the opening of their website, I'll turn my phone on silent. <laughs> they are Um, offering, yeah, free shipping on all strings, so um, jump on over there, shoot David a message and get yourself some nice Ken Smith strings. Alright, this episode um, has one of the kind of most well-known current bass players, I'd say, um, at the minute, uh, and that is Mr. Evan Marion. So Evan was in town with um, Virgil Donati, uh, playing at Bird's Basement again, and... Um, it was really great to to meet Evan um, because I've been a fan of his playing and his music for a while now. Um, he's got a ton of great content, video content, on his YouTube channel, which you can find over on YouTube, obviously, um, and also check out uh, www.evanmarion.com for links to more of his his albums and whatnot. And it was really great to speak to Evan because he's kind of, although he's, I would say, definitely in the kind of new school. Of of players, he's definitely rooted in in the tradition and um, and in the uh, in the history of the bass. Um, he hasn't forgotten where the instruments came from. Um, and again, just a, a great example of what's capable if you if you're passionate and you put in the time, you know. And and Evans definitely 100 um, percent passionate about his music and and playing. So. Yeah, this one's pretty interesting. Um, We get into, again, as always, a lot of different topics. um, And uh, I hope you enjoy it. So episode 38, Evan Marion. How you doing? This is Craig here from Bass Lessons Melbourne, and today for our player profile um, interview, I'm joined by Evan Marion. How you doing, man? Very well. How are you? Great. It's good to have you around. It's wonderful to be here, man. I'm so
1: glad I'm on your side of the world.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm kind of a I'm a guest here as well, but
1: yeah, you're down here.
0: What? Uh, maybe tell us a little bit about what brings you to Melbourne. And...
1: I'm here with Virgil Donati and I'm doing a uh, Alan Holdsworth tribute uh, set at Bird's Basement. Uh, it's been, we're three shows in, three more to go. Uh, it's been really exhausting, but it's been amazing and just, I mean... Four shows in? Yeah, uh, well, three, so I guess we have three more to go. I mean, uh, we had Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and now we're doing, this is Friday, and then... Saturday. <laughs> Saturday and Sunday. Oh, you're playing Sunday as well? Yeah, so it's like... Ah, no day off? Really? No, apart,
0: from, like,
1: apart from like when we got
0: here. But you need like a day to...
1: Yeah, we (laughs) luckily, I mean, I I slept really well on the flight. Uh, I just kind of, me and my wife, we both slept. We took a couple sleeping pills, had a glass of wine, we just passed right out for like 12 hours straight. And then we woke up at uh, I don't know, two hours left into the flight. We had to like go use the bathroom and like perfect poke the guy next to us. And we're like, Can we get up? And he's like, Yeah, I thought. I mean I this is I thought you guys were dead. You guys <laughs> haven't moved. I was waiting for you guys to be like, you know yeah. to stand up or something. I was waiting for it the whole
0: time. Poor <laughs> guy didn't go to sleep, he was just He's waiting. he's just
1: waiting. Like he's watching movies like they're gonna they're gonna make me get up at any moment, oh, yeah. you know. <laughs> so <laughs> No, it's been great man. I'm, Melbourne's we're loving it here.
0: It's it's the good weather's been great. It's too. a good part of the world. <laughs> yeah Um so how did how did I guess, how did you end up here? How did you end up here with Virgil playing music of Alan Holdsworth?
1: Well, originally, this was kind of supposed to be, uh, we were, this was supposed to be with Alan. Right. Uh, we were playing, I got asked <clears throat> by Virgil to join uh, Alan's last band uh, April last year and flew to LA.
0: We did a couple shows. So did you know Virgil Pryor or he kind of just, you on his radar?
1: Yeah, I, I met him probably in 2011. I had my first show in LA at the Big Potato and um, he, he saw me play, <laughs> uh, he came to the show, saw me play and then he asked me to um, record on his album. Uh, his solo album at the time, he was working on a bunch of tracks. He had Each track was like a different set of players. Yeah, a you know, different bass player. You had, um, different bass player. It was like Anthony Crawford was on it. Um, yeah. Doug Johns is on it. Oh, man, oh, really? Doug. I mean, Doug's
0: amazing.
1: I was just listening to him in the car and the made it pick you up. Man, he is just... He's so funky. He's amazing. Uh, I think he's a Doug Johns or am I thinking Doug... J- Doug's... I'm pretty sure I'm thinking of Doug. But uh, uh, <laughs> Doug Johns or Doug Jones... Oh. Ah, which one is it? Because there's two. There's two different.
0: Doug Johns. Doug Johns plays the
1: Padula. He does the. He's, he's like the. He plays. It's more up. Like he's got it. Like uh, more upright, right? Like he's kind of like. Doug Johns. Yeah or no? Oh, Maybe. Doug Johns is like the solo guy, right? Yeah. Oh shoot, not him. Okay, some <laughs> other Doug. Some other Doug. Damn. <laughs> <That's> okay. Uh, <laughs> we'll put
0: his name in here.
1: Yeah. <laughs> he's he's incredible. He's uh. You can catch a live. There's a video on YouTube of. Uh, them playing the song Red Air, which has like a huge bass solo and Doug takes this magnificent soul. It's just like unbelievable. Uh, a lot is of he, really great did players. You this? He plays now it's like a five string tune down a whole step, I think. He's got like a low A. Oh wow. And I think even uh Anthony Crawford's bass is, is tuned a similar way where it's like down a whole step so hmm. all this he's got a low A on everything and uh it's perfect for... A lot of Virgil's music has, like, low B-flats on it, you know, and everything. Right. So when I had to, like, learn the music, I was like, uh, um, octave pedal, <laughs> like this okay. B-flat, you know? Yeah. Drop it down an octave, and or two octaves, really. So I had to kind of modify things. But anyway, I'm, I was on the track 11, Uh and then me and Virgil have just always stayed in touch ever since... Uh, We've done. I've had him on my music before, and cool. whenever he comes through New York, he always asks me to kind of come in and sit in on "Water on the Brain," like some Allen stuff, and and then so yeah, yeah, we we linked up finally for this uh, the last Allen band.
0: And, yeah, I can remember you yeah. kind of like that being announced, and you were pretty stoked. I was very it seemed, excited. Yeah, <laughs> it, I mean, Allen's been a
1: huge <coughs> hero of mine since since like my my Berkeley days. I first discovered Allen's music and didn't quite know what i was hearing (laughs) and just was like so mystified and but i i really gravitated towards jimmy johnson on a lot of those albums and i was like well alan stuff i couldn't totally i mean he was just doing this otherworldly stuff but at least i could i as a bass player i listened to jimmy and jimmy made sense of all i could hear exactly where jimmy was going jimmy just sounded like a magician yeah who just kind of made sense of 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 everything He he was the glue between the rhythm but he was also like creating like I mean, he had this like fluid technique uh fluid chordal harmony knowledge and like uh, it's just man very inspirational yeah really cool and yeah thankful to be a part of the legacy and yeah for so the how, how,
0: how long how long were you on tour for
1: um well two weeks basically we had four shows in two weeks so it was kind of you know spaced okay. out um I said bye to Alan on a Tuesday, and then he, I got word that he passed on that Saturday. It was just like a couple days later, man. It was, that, I took it, I took it really hard, and it was really hard to, like, talk about for weeks, and I went to, it It was like, you know, in the span of a month, April, right? It's like, we had our first shows, like, April 1st, April 2nd, and then it's like, towards the end of the month, I was going to his funeral. So it's like, in a space of one month, it's like, you meet your hero, play with him, get to hang with him do all these amazing things and then you just get to experience life in a very very rough condensed. <laughs> yeah, condensed version and going to his funeral yeah. and then you know saying bye to him yeah it was, it was rough it, it's, and then yeah it took the whole month of May off <laughs> sure, <laughs> after that yeah. I was just like I'm, I'm gonna yeah. take a break <laughs> just like laid in bed a lot but uh it was you know just you, to um, push through it
0: I mean, obviously, playing with Virgil can be, would be educational. Did you pick anything up from, from Alan?
1: You know, Alan never... In, I mean, I've, I've talked to Jimmy about it. I've talked to everyone about it. Alan didn't like to give any direction, really. He just kind of let us play. He just kind of let us do, you know... It, he never, he, he, did, he just good, never told us
0: what to do. Were you, I mean, that sounds good, but could it have been bad in the fact that you'd be like, is this okay? Sure. Or I mean,
1: I've asked him, I asked him a couple times. I was like, so Alan, at the very end of Texas, is it, or no, at the very end of Fred, is it, is it A or is it E, you know? And, you know, and he would, he would be like, it's green. Yeah. He'd be like, well, what, uh, what were you doing just now? I was like, I was, I was playing the last song was like an A power chord. He's like, well, that's got E in it. And I was like, all can't, right, A and E both. Can't argue with that. Fair enough. <laughs> cool. And yeah, he, he, he really just kind of was like, I mean, he told me anytime I asked questions, he would always start it off with, uh, he would maybe try to answer it just a little bit. He'd be like, well, I think it's, you know, G, or you'd start to, and then he'd go, well, but Evan, really just play whatever you want. Play whatever, you can do whatever you want. Cool. He always told me. Yeah, well. Yeah. So, I mean... <laughs> I mean, in a, in a way, that's that's true. But then there's also like I would go back and listen to the record and be like, well, what did Jimmy do?
0: <laughs> like, let me that that's just yeah. the right. Did you path, did you, you know? liaise with Jimmy when you were kind of learning the material? You
1: know, I I didn't uh, I didn't get to talk with Jimmy until months later. Apparently, I, I met oh. Jimmy at the tribute shows because Alan was supposed to come to New York. We were supposed to do a week at the Iridium, and then Alan passed. And Virgil was you know we we're trying to figure out what to do with these dates that we were already booked and kind of mm. committed to and. We ended up just kind of turning it into a tribute and had a bunch of different guitar players come in and pay tribute, and we, you know, still got to play his music. And uh, Jimmy didn't tell anybody, but he bought a ticket, and he just kind of went to the show.
0: He bought a ticket.
1: He bought a ticket and just sat in the back. Uh, James, He tours a lot with James Taylor, and he was on tour with James Taylor. They were playing, like, Jersey in a couple days, and he was in town early, and he didn't tell anybody, and he just bought a ticket and just showed up. And then, of course, once we realized jimmy was there like he knows alex makachek and steve hunt of course who he's done all those records with and uh then finally yeah i met jimmy and yeah uh, it was like uh, so originally jimmy was supposed to do those dates that i was gonna do you know that i got asked to do it was supposed to be jimmy and I but he was on tour he was on tour and so you know virgil had already recommended me he's like well there is evan you know and alan's like yeah yeah but then he talked to Jimmy he's like who's Evan and I guess Jimmy knew who I was and just kind of told him Evan's cool man like you know he's cool and same with Gary Husband I I know Gary Husband a little bit and I think Gary kind of just had my back a little bit and Alan felt more assured by taking on a new guy so late you know yeah because he he always you know of course he wanted to use somebody who he's you know Jimmy's played with him for
0: so long you know and um I I How did you go about absorbing that repertoire?
1: Well, I'd already listened to it a bunch just from, you know. Yeah. But then, yeah, it's a different thing learning it, right? It's like you listen to it because you love it so much. And so you know the rhythms, but then it's like, oh, now I have to go in and actually learn the notes. And so it's like for me, I didn't have to, I wrote my own charts out and... Uh, I didn't have to write the rhythms out, because I already knew, I just had memorized, I mean, I, they yeah. were just already
0: in my head. It's easier if you know how the song goes.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So I, it was more like, where do I just place my root notes at? I know the rhythms, but it's like, where does just my hand go, yeah. you know? Uh, and so I just wrote little lead sheets out for myself, like D, C, E, just like, you know. And it sounds so, it just sounds out of context it just sounds like kind of randomness but it it, it, in context with his music it just makes all the difference it adds weight to the chords it adds it's just the foundation for everything so yeah I just kind of wrote my own charts out and then uh, Virgil had sent me stuff that Jimmy had given him to give to Jimmy Haslip who was playing before me and so then he had some of those pdfs or whatever and so then Virgil was like oh these are Jimmy Johnson's charts so, yeah, I didn't get to meet Jimmy until the the tribute shows, and then now we stay in touch via email, and me and Jimmy are very close, man. He's a, he's cool. a good dude. He recommended us a wonderful Italian restaurant here in Melbourne, yeah. and we, we went there the first day we were here. It didn't disappoint? Didn't disappoint, man. Delicious. I, I've come to find out, I've learned that Jimmy really likes Italian food, oh, yeah. I think.
0: I. Yeah. Do you have Italian heritage?
1: Uh, no. <laughs> no. Uh, my wife does, uh, but... She's like pure Italian, <laughs> but uh, I'm like a weird mixture of uh, German, Irish, and French, and Canadian actually. Find out uh, my my on my dad's side, it's like French Canadian. Okay. So I'm like a um, <laughs> like uh, I always thought I was like, man, you know, I'm a pretty nice guy, and then when I found out I was Canadian, I was like, there we go, Dude. that explains it. <laughs> like there, because every Cana- I you know every Canadian I meet is
0: just so. It, it is the, the stereotype is mainly true. It's, it, you know, yeah, they're they're
1: nice people.
0: Yeah,
1: and so I was like, oh, no, mm. no okay, it makes and sense. Yeah. Why am I so nice? Oh, they, go, they there got to we go. put up with you guys all the time. Yeah, but <laughs> stupid Americans. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, man. Sorry, sorry guys. <laughs> guys. We're right below you, and it's like, <clears throat> sorry, we're ridiculous.
0: <laughs> so, um, how did you? Um, what was your kind of beginnings? Like, what made you go, I'm going to play bass? Were you playing other stuff? Was it Musical Family? Uh, my dad played guitar. You know, I would always hear him playing,
1: like, Dewey Brothers songs and Led Zeppelin tunes and, like, all this stuff like that. And, and where, where is this? Where did you grow up? A Decatur, Illinois, which is, like, kind of middle of nowhere uh it's like a kind of a it's where the world's supply of high fructose corn syrup and soybean you know like ethanol and like all those (laughs) things kind of all comes from decatur it's a really weird weird town farmland farmland. kind of farmland it's like mainly it's all surrounded by corn is that what your parents were involved in or yeah well my mom's a special ed teacher basically i i you know she's she grew up having a couple different jobs Mm. and then the past like since I moved away from home, she settled into a, a special ed teaching job. And she's been doing that for a long time now. My dad's basically, I always joke that he's a professional hippie because <laughs> he, he manages the conservation district back in, in Macon County and, and where Decatur's at. He runs, you know, the, it's like they own property with like farmland and like marshes and, can, you know, okay. conservation yeah. basically like uh, prairie, you know, there's <clears throat> a lot of prairie there and
0: somebody has to care for it i guess
1: you know somebody's got to be in charge of like you know making sure that it's that people don't come in and just ruin it it. you know and and okay because all it takes is somebody to just buy it and then it's gone and then people develop it and it's just gone so So you're kind of been
0: like growing up in a small small town i guess smallish
1: yeah it was like i think it's it's definitely shrunk since uh my time the town's getting kind of smaller and smaller because that's the kind of the typical midwestern yeah Thing where especially now it's like it's just kind of shrinking more and more, but I think it's like you know, like uh, 40,000 people, it's just very spread out, so it doesn't, yeah, kind of feel like 40,000 for mm. sure, but yeah. So then, what, what how did you pick up the bass? I had a great band pro, like the music program in Decatur was pretty right. nation renowned, like it, it was like uh, we uh, my band teacher was Jim Culbertson who, uh, his son was a, was a very famous, it still is a very famous move. Brian? Brian Culbertson. Right. So I study with his dad. Brian's from Decatur and his dad was my teacher. Huh. Uh, since I was little, I played trombone at first. And then because I played trombone, I could read the same staff as bass. It's the same range, basically. Yeah. Uh, they thought I would be good on electric bass. So then when I went to junior high, they were like, Oh, get Evan for the, the, the jazz band to play bass, you know? And so then it was, like, I had two months to learn how to play the instrument. And that whole two months, I, I had a teacher, and I didn't really take it seriously. She was very patient and kind with me, but I wasn't, taking. you know, I was just kind of, like, yeah, you know, working on, like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so then... But I... I, I <clears throat> But I wasn't focusing on, like, how to, like, you know, I I jumped into the jazz band, and they had, all of a sudden, I had, you know, walking bass lines to read, and I will never forget it. It's like, I came in, and they, it was like a blues or something that was written out, and it was all triads, mainly, but I couldn't totally read it, and um, I never, that was the first time I felt real embarrassment. It's like, I I failed at it, and my band, and Culbertson was like, Evan, there's another older bass player, right, you know, it's like... Two different bass players. He was like, "Give it back to um, Mark." There, like, uh, "Why don't you go back to trombone?"
0: And I just like, remember, like that scene in Whiplash.
1: I, you know, I've never seen that movie <laughs> oh, because okay. that almost
0: hits. <clears throat> I, I know that hits too close to home. This exact same thing happens. He gets his chance in the band, and can't stop to go
1: see. I knew I've yeah. never seen that movie Let, because of that reason, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, <clears throat> I, I, and later on, I as well. So I was walking back to my trombone chair, and I remember. There was a girl trumpet player, and I really thought she was cute. You know, I had a huge crush on her. Her name was Jillian. And I remember she me I thought I heard her lean over to my friend Steven, and she goes, He sucks. I swear. I heard it in the seventh grade. You know, sucks was like the new, he sucks. And I was like, Boom, like, you know, end of the world. End of the world. So that night, I made sure I, I was shedding it. I was reading it. Like, for four hours, I learned that 12 bar blue, like, just had it memorized you know and then the next day I was like I can do it I like made sure and and they were like yeah we're not doing that song anymore (laughs) (laughs) oh we cut that song out that's that's no that's not yeah that's not gonna be good no you know I got a chance to do it and I and he was really impressed and I kind of felt that like redeeming felt like all those like uh, life lessons in like a matter of a couple days and and Culbertson was very hard on me in high school too but it, it really pushed me to new levels he was very hard on like making me learn how to create walking bass lines. You know, it's like when you see C7, mm. it's like, well, that's the chord that is... But, like, how do I build a... It's like, I guess, tri, you know, learning your triads from memory or learning how to walk seventh chords and all these mm-hmm. things. Or, or not, maybe not even outlining the chords <clears throat> all the time. That was another thing he got on me about. He's like, you know, don't walk the chords all the time. Don't do <laughs> 1, three, five, seven, one three. And he's like, why don't you put... He really kind of just would kind of push me <laughs> at the same time he would just like kind of call me out and just push me into like try to create something like um, you know. Oh boy. Yeah. Commanding approach. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like how like you know. Yeah. You know, like all those like Above below. <laughs> It's it's just uh, teaching the, all I taught myself all that basically. And I think the,
0: th- the thing about learning uh, learning that kind of stuff early on is it's a great foundation for anything you're going to do afterwards absolutely if you're playing blues you know funk folk rock everything they all have roots thirds and fifths everything and
1: that's you know <laughs> like there's a pocket and there's a time like I, I used to play to the radio <coughs> growing up like Red Hot Chili Peppers and like Rage Against the Machine uh like all the new metal stuff was kind of mm-hmm. coming out at the time like Limp Bizkit and i would try to like play along with it
0: yeah you know <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> and it's like yeah I was I was so into it I loved it so much and especially you know like Rage Against the Machine and oh, everything yeah. like all those bass lines and uh you know I, I started really kind of getting familiar with like pentatonic shapes you know and mm-hmm. I started always like leaning more towards that than like triadic like in seventh yeah. approaches so as much as I, I knew I had to learn that that was like at Berkeley. I was like doing bass proficiency exams and they made me like you know walk all two octave like lydian dominant two octave thing you know all these scales things mm-hmm. like you know arpeggios and for some reason i was always like man this you know i'd learn them for the exam and i'd be like Phew, okay great that's done you know like back to my <laughs> like major pentatonic like <clears throat> shapes you know like i just
0: always but i love i think one know? thing i find is a lot of guys miss the pentatonic thing as well if they're coming from the from the the jazz thing absolutely they think it's major pentatonic is is like what's that but it's so cool i feel like they make it's
1: uh, you know I, i again it might be jazz is so rooted with chromaticism in a certain style of language right like bebop and it's like you don't hear much of that like the the pentatonic thing with jazz really yeah. you hear it you hear that blended with like the rock thing it's mm-hmm. like when ma vishnu and like john mclaughlin yeah. it's like those guys kind of like <clears throat> embraced jimmy and all these like rockers playing blues scale you know it like melded and that's how it kind of i feel like it got more integrated and maybe more cool is during the 70s with fusion and like yeah and then and then the 80s kind of like they started just making everything like pentatonic like super smooth like you know yeah and then then the 90s it kind of went back to bebop and like everyone was like you know screw midi and you know all those things and then now it's like we're in this weird place where I think just
0: it was, everything
1: was. and every you know it's like everything's kind of already <clears throat> I, I mean not everything is I, I, I actually I, th- I feel like maybe everything has already been done and it's just kind of recycling around in different forms and just being reinterpreted and like uh you know, but I still feel like it's like there's so many different things you can mold it to make it new. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like the music, the vehicle, it's like, that's a big part of it. But yeah, it's like the major pentatonic, how you could approach it, right? It's like, uh, for me, I've always tried to lay it out more. And actually, it's not even really a pentatonic. It ends up being Mm. a six note scale. Ends up being hexatonic. Add in the sixth, no, the seventh, (laughs) and this—it's everything but the fourth, basically.
0: Okay, cool. So for me, I I always this nice like two fret spacing.
1: Yeah, it's like trying to make it go this way on the fretboard. That's what I've always tried to like, you know, pursue because I've always like learned this up and down approach, and then I would always get stuck in one area.
0: Yeah.
1: And then it's like, well, how can I maybe? push into this unknown, how can I, like...
0: It's definitely important to have yeah, more, more, than one way. Way, more than one way of playing a, an Absolutely. audio You've got a perspective on things. Absolutely. It's like,
1: you know, you learn one bass line one, light, one way, and you might think that's the way to play it, but maybe there's an easier way to play it. Yeah. Find the other way on the neck to play well, it. I, it could be Like easier. learning that
0: rock and roll thing, you know, one, three, five, six, flat seven. Yeah. Like I learned it in that up and down yeah. position. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, oh, if you do it like right? on the two strings, it's like, oh, that's way easier to play for like five minutes than... Exactly. Than it's like
1: one, it's same <clears throat> notes,
0: two different approaches. Yeah. And it gives you access different to different note combinations Absolutely. as well. Yeah, that you can just kind of string together
1: yeah, and you know it's also maybe a range thing too it's like you can play it up here and then you can actually have access to more notes. it's like if you're already here then you're gonna have to leap and pivot and yep. shift or but it's like if you're already here you know, it's like working your way up further mm. and just further and you can further. never run out it's, well sort of <laughs> <laughs> as yeah. much as we uh, <clears throat> sort of
0: <laughs> so you yeah. ever thought about doing the six
1: Oh, man, I just had somebody else ask me about that, and it was, like, funny, because I hadn't hadn't thought about it, and people go, man, yeah, why don't you, you know, you do so much stuff, and (laughs) simple reasons, you do so much stuff, and there's, like, simple reason is I've tried to play a six, and it just feels too big. Yeah. I, like, this is, like, the way I have uh, this neck designed is basically, like, this kind of feels like a four-string neck to me. It's just really tight string spacing. And you know who else has a neck like? Is Jimmy Johnson? His 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 five string alembic is actually, it's it's like unbelievably tight. It's like yeah, this they were like guitar strings almost. It's it's so, I I can't even describe. You it's see, like you so see Stanley
0: Clark with his alembic and his hands just like wrap around. Just, your neck. just
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 pretty insane. So like, uh, <clears throat> the six always just felt too big. I'm sure if I could even get a six neck down, I don't know. It's like it's yeah. almost just.
0: A, I don't it's know. It's a tonal thing as well. Like it's, the notes sound different. And
1: you know, I'm old now. I just I feel like I just want to like, you know. <laughs> this is just kind of what I know. And it's, I'm just going Next time
0: you see you'll just be a P bass with like
1: <laughs> <these> three <laughs> strings. I'll be like, in brown hair and no glasses. I'll be like, dude, I'm just like smoking cigs all the time. i like, change my stuff, man.
0: So, so what kind of, apart from the, I mean, you're playing in jazz band, but you're listening to like new metal yeah. What was maybe what was the kind of the thing that got you more into the improvisational kind of music?
1: Man, it was. I think the first band that kind of got me to be like, "Whoa!" was Radiohead. I listened okay. to Radiohead. It was Kid A had just come out when I was like in high school, or, and I I listened to that record and I went, "What?" And it was like my friend Danny, who was like my best friend and throughout high school, he was always like the cool. He was always into like this different music you know he was in the radio head and would like he was like oh you know what influenced kid a it was bitches brew have you ever heard bitches brew i was like no sounds cool though. yeah i know i was like sounds awesome and we listened to it and i'm like what is it the, this song's 30 minutes long i was like wow that's cool you know i mean it's like just for the fact that it was like certain like things about it yeah. it was like there's no tune you know it's just 30 minutes of like jamming and like there's there's 12 different people in the band you know two drummers and like two bass players, you know it's like, all so these like it, things you know did Did you get it did you think it was good it was a vibe i got the vibe of yeah. it yeah it's like even if i didn't i had no idea what they were doing sure. even radiohead it's like i had no idea but I can, you can you can immediately sense vibe and that's what miles later on it's like you were drawn to it the vibe yeah vibe is something that's universal if you can kind of ooze that out through your music boom yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, so that was kind of like there. And then Bjork later on. Square Pusher was the big thing. And then mm-hmm. finally from Square Pusher, I think I found... Because Square Pusher had such an awesome bass language. And I was like, wow. And then my friend Danny was like, well, you know who he plays like? is Jaco Pastorius. Uh-oh. And then I was like, boom. <laughs> and from there, it just went, I went, bass is going to be my main instrument. I was learning and transcribing all of Jaco's tunes. And how old are you? 16. Okay. I have recordings of me playing the entire Donna Lee you know like I submitted it to like Bass Player Magazine I had like a competition judged by Victor Wooten John Patitucci I'll never forget that I got like a, a, a review card back from like I think it was Victor wow and it was like they, he was really nice but he and the whole time he was like talking about originality he was like oh, you know this is great but uh, I would have liked to hear like you doing an original piece you know to submit to this competition I was like and back then I couldn't even imagine doing that because I'm so young and I was like well Whatever, Victor. <laughs> yeah, what do you do? I was like, I played the whole jo- Donna Lee, man. <laughs> like, whatever, man. Sorry, Victor. But but still, the, you know, later on I got to digest that and ring true, and then that's always been something I've tried to pursue. I never try to do uh, covers that are... I just, you know, covers are... There's so many people who do covers and do them so well, and I don't feel like I can really add on top of that pile unless... You Unless you like feel it, yeah, and, like, like I can do it in my own kind of way, you know, and so, uh, but yeah, Jocko was like kind of the launching pad, man. That was and the guy that changed my life. And what
0: what kind of bass were you playing over back then? Had a
1: Fender Fender Four string, the Getty Lee bass.
0: Do you know what? <gasps> it's not wow. mine. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, great little skinny neck. Maybe that's where your it's all started. Yeah, that
1: it, it's got such a thin neck, man. Yeah. It was easy to learn. Well, not easy, but it was easier to learn. Teen town. Style. Teen town. It was yeah. like all the string skipping yeah. of, of everything, and uh, that was my main bass all through. Up even the first year at Berkeley, I had my my Fender bass. Yeah. Uh, and then I uh, had a Warwick at the time that I was like, kind of. It was like thumb bass and on and off playing it, but then I never really totally five string or five string. Yeah, yeah. with a with a low B and. Uh, Never totally got used to it. Actually, I started getting hand cramps from it because the body was so small and it had this neck dive kind of thing. And I would Mm. always hold it, like... Started getting this, like, pain in my wrist. And it was probably because I had my strap, like, too low. I mean, there's other probably reasons I could have... But back then, I'm just like, this this is just weird. I'm going to sell it. That's the easiest way to, like... Instead of just adjusting the strap, Is like, ah, this thing sucks. (laughs) So I I let it go on eBay for, like, 900 bucks. And that same i had that credit in my account and i found a ken smith burner my brown one that i still have uh for 900 on ebay so i just kind of like used it to buy that immediately yeah and then had it shipped to my to my house back in illinois and i'll never forget i got that bass i came home for <clears> christmas <throat> break got that bass started playing it and then uh, i remember i played it so much like four hours straight four hours straight that i actually killed the nerves in the tips of my fingers here and uh they became numb, so then I was like, "Oh my god!" So then it was like torture, because then for the next two weeks I couldn't play the bass, because I had to let this heal. Because I would just, I was just playing nonstop, like <sighs> like playing Havona, playing over Havona, and just all these like Jocko stuff for like nonstop, and I ki- like I hurt my fingertips now. So then, two weeks go by, and I'm just looking at the bass, and I'm like, "Man, it's just amazing." Try and play with it. Yeah, and it's like I'd pick it up, and I'd be like, oh, "I could just do it a little bit." Ah, I can't feel it. It's I can't feel it. Yeah, you know, like screaming at myself, and uh, then I got back to Berkeley with it, and it's, it, it was just my main bass for for years.
0: Berkeley experience.
1: Yeah, overall, um, good. <laughs> mm, good. No, it was fine. I mean, it was a lot of money. I didn't have scholarship or anything, so really? I just kind of went the full, <laughs> taking wow. out like massive loans. And
0: but you made lifelong friends, or definitely, yeah. Actually? I mean,
1: yeah. that's number one reason why I still like. Oh, I have a lot of my own students ask me, "Should I go to Berkeley?" and I'm saving up for Berkeley. And I'm like, yeah. I mean, like, it's no, it's, just
0: keep coming to me for lessons. <laughs> yeah, and go and gig. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Shit, that's right. Yeah. I should tell them that. No, I. Had, <laughs> I, I you know it's it's really the people we all kind of, I have found a very nice group of people all different from each other too yeah. it's like well, I found different pockets but we, yet we were all still connected together like none of my guitar player uh, guitar player friends were friends with each other they all hate yeah. it. like they're all so different yeah, it's like, like my friend Yakov would be like oh Alan Holdsworth is cheesy and then like my friend Andy Berman, who's like an Alan that's who I heard Alan's music from uh, Andy would be like watch your mouth you know it's like <laughs> just like really intense like Berkeley yeah. like you know, big standoffs. And I was like, okay, my guitar player friends can never be friends Mm. with each other. Who's Um, your
0: um, bass teacher?
1: Matthew Garrison. Matt was my teacher. Okay. So that's, no, that's probably my best reason for going to Berkeley. Cause I had met Matt in 2004 at the Berkeley bass camp. I went for three days and then came back to Decatur and changed my life. And that's why I I always knew, like, I wanted to go to Berkeley I just waited two years to kind of like shed and I put a lot of pressure on it. I always thought like Berkeley is was, was like, wow, it's going to be, you know, super hard, all professionals. And yeah. uh, and then when I got there, I kind of, I mean, it's great to think that. And then you kind of get to a certain zone and then when you jump in, you're almost in a bigger top of the, mm. not top of the pile for sure. I was like, but it's like, you know, you're in a pile, <laughs> you're not on the bottom. So you kind of have somewhere to grow and actually get really, really
0: so how old were you when you went to Berkeley? Twenty. Twenty. Yeah. Okay. So you you kind of had your shit together. Yeah. I mean, I was just, just practicing f- facility all facility-wise. Yeah.
1: It's like I was constantly playing at my other college. I was playing in bands with friends. I kind of was. I was starting to record all the instruments myself. My friend had like one of those big like multi-track reco- mm. digital recorders. Starting to mess around with like playing the drums to Havona in my head, jamming along, and then recording bass on top of it. And, like, doing a Stevie Wonder kind of thing where it's, like, you just record the whole tune in your head on drums and then jumping in on bass. I have recordings of me playing Avona and when I was 18, all the instruments. My friend had a Rhodes, you know? It's, like, oh, uh. we had all these gadgets and, like, cool toys that, you know, we looked up the equipment list for Radiohead. And we were, like, what did they use? You know, it's, like, <laughs> what do they use on Bitches Brew? Oh, Fender Rhodes. And my friend bought one for, like, at the time it was, like, 600 bucks, you know, or something. Super cheap. Yeah. It was the suitcase with like the speaker. Yeah, nice. So I mean, it was it was. Uh, so gar- I had a lot of t- tools to like experiment and just even that's what I was constantly doing, you
0: know. Garrison, was he more kind of showing you conceptual stuff, or was he was he also like you know this is where you got to be putting your fingers? I mean, what what was? Uh, <laughs> I think we
1: were, we were mainly
0: jamming. It was like, it, right, okay. Matt
1: would come, like, I wanted to play with Matt. I would record all the lessons, yep. and I'd go back, and that's when I'd actually learn the most part. I would, I would go, what scale you're using? He's like, oh, like, Lydian. He's big on the Lydian, Lydian dominant. And, mm. uh, it was mainly Lydian, though. I was always like, Lydian, what's that, you know? <laughs> So I started, like, just transcribing his solos. He's really the only bass player that I would actually go and, like, listen to his stuff and, like, figure out note for note, slow it down. Mm. I never wrote anything down, but I could, like, learn, like, all these, like... His articulations for stuff. It's, like, a lot of hammer-ons and pull-offs. He wasn't big on articulating all the notes, and so that always kind of stuck with me. Like, I never... Like, uh, as I got into other bass players, you know, like, first time I heard Hadrian Farao or... trying to think like even square pusher was like you know jocko articulated all the Mm. notes you know all these guys and i really i knew i matt was like the guy that i'm like i don't have to do that i don't have to articulate all the notes matt here is like doing all this like beautiful articulation stuff with just barely plucking you know it's like using the whole Mm. like hammer-ons and pull-offs if i'm plucking like just
0: doing a lot of that like matt was such the man at that and it seems like you have like you have a floating right hand technique as opposed to I the so. anchoring thing. Cause you also play a little bit clawhammer style, I call it. Or yeah. Thumbing.
1: That's something I have from from Matt too. It's like Matt yeah. was really the guy that I would just watch him do all this. Like, he, cause he kinda came from like a Gary Willis kind of thing, you know? Did you um, go down the Gary Willis path? No, it was Matt? really just Matt. It was like Matt was like the guy that was in my face every week, and he was he was just this wealth that he had played with everyone, you know. Used to just There were some lessons where I would just talk about his experiences with, like, Herbie Hancock or Zawinol or McLaughlin, you know, I was just, like... Great to have a, a window into that, that uh, world. Absolutely, and he, he still had the charts for some of the songs and cool. stuff, so he'd pa- pass them over to me, and I'd sit at home and, sh- and shed yeah. with him, and he was, um, but he wasn't really so much, like, a point, like, he wouldn't, he, he just let me learn that stuff myself. He yeah. would, either, you know, he would come in and be like, I'd play a little bit, and he'd be like, you know what you need to work on, man? you know, you need to get out of like this, you play too, too diatonically. And I just go, okay. Okay. <laughs> and, and he would be like, you know, look, look to the modes, melodic minor. It was melodic minor modes mm-hmm. that he was big on. He said, I shouldn't worry about the harmonic minor modes. He was like, nah, don't worry about those. Those don't worry about those suck. And I was like, yeah. okay. And then guys like Dominique D. Piazza and Hadrian are all these like harmonic minor geniuses. <laughs> and I was like, all right, well, there's, Guys doing it, but okay. <laughs> yeah. No, I won't worry about it and just learn like, uh, like super low Korean, Like one ultra- thing at a time. <laughs> like using the like uh, super low Korean scale, which kind of starts off like a symmetrical diminish that ends whole tone. You know. And then the arpeggio even looks like an alter or uh, augmented. Yeah, it's, it's really, like, an interesting sound. Good for the wedding gigs. Definitely. Highly recommend throwing in a super low-cream lick <laughs> on a wedding start, gig. Start violin. You'll get all the singers looking back, like... Just, like... <laughs> playing a lot of wrong notes.
0: <laughs> you play it twice, it's jazz.
1: Yeah, it's like... You just gotta play it fast enough. Yeah, and yeah. then people go, oh, that's awesome.
0: So, you, so you kind of... You survive Berkeley, And yeah. then... I mean, are you... Do you have a job? Are you gigging? How are you surviving? in...
1: just in Berkeley, music, just yeah, purely music. Just doing all sorts of things. That's uh, pretty awesome. You know, short. I very. I learned very quickly after graduating from Berkeley that you have to do more than just, you know, play your instrument. In, in a way, to like, at least for me, I was like, man, I have to like, I have to do more. Like, I'm sitting in my room waiting for gigs, and I'm like, this isn't happening.
0: Yeah, So that's kind of what I'm getting. At, is like, how did you become Evan Marion, the the we that you know the base community now knows as, as this entity like finishing Berkeley was it out sure. of that you started working on it yourself or
1: I was always in the social media. I was always in the MySpace. I networked a lot on MySpace. Hey, you do know. you know Tom? <laughs> <laughs> I'm his friend, man. Are you? His, yeah. Yeah, you
0: know Tom too. Yeah, I know Tom.
1: I Beautiful. Seen, I haven't seen him in years though. Nah, he's so He's he like owns an island. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's fine. Never invites me <clears throat> over, but that's okay. <clears throat> Not really close friends anymore. <laughs> but uh. You know, MySpace networking with people. And then that turned into Facebook networking with people. Mm. I was always on that tip. Okay. Like meeting new people. And then going to NAMM shows, that was big too. Just meeting people. All those base people that I know on MySpace in person. Damien Erskine, Mark Perrick, um, uh, Bobby Lewis, Adrian. What was the first NAMM yeah. show like? <sighs> Overwhelming. I just kind of walked around with my camera and just like... You know. Were you, like, v- vlogging or just... No, I just wanted pictures. Making. Yeah, I just wanted pictures okay. with... I knew Matt. You know, Matt was my teacher, and so I kind of hung around the Fodera booth a bunch, and everyone would come and play at the Fodera booth. Uh, and then he, uh, I would just follow, kind of bug Matt and follow him around. And <laughs> yeah. he'd go over to Mark Base and play with Hadrian. and Hadrian actually kind of recognized me from MySpace because he probably knew that I was the guy he'd probably send him. I was like, hey, man, how are you, how are you doing? Are you going to be at NAM? <laughs> I'm going to be a nam 2,
0: sweet. So when is this? 2009? I think. Okay.
1: 2008, 2009. and um, Nearly 10 years ago. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. 10 years kind of So A lot's happened then. How old, be, how old are you now? 31. 31. I'll, I'll 30. be 32 in July so
0: this year. So like, this is like when you're like 22, 23?
1: Yeah, 23, I guess 24. so. Yeah, I guess so. I think. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm starting to lose
1: track. <laughs> but yeah, it, it was... I mean, it was not It was incredible, you know, just hanging around, trying to, like, just... I had a lot of, you know, I was taking videos of things on my, like, little Sony sh- Cybershot. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then by the time next year, next Nam came around, I had already graduated, and I had already released my first record, and I think there's a bit of, like, Did you whatever. play the first thing? Um, no. I couldn't get my bass in, because, you know, I didn't, like, I couldn't, like, uh, they were strict about... Bring like, I didn't know in. any companies to, like, actually okay. put an exhibit in. So how, how did you get in, just... Oh, I had a badge through Campbell American, who made my first, kind of my first signature bass. And, um, Campbell American? Yeah, it's like, I mean, he mainly makes guitars. He right. made a guitar for a guy that I was playing with in Boston, uh, David Fusinski. I was playing a lot with Fuse, and okay. he made his double neck, and I met him, and he was like, hey, man, I'll make you, make you a bass. So I was like, cool, cool. Yeah, but can I get a NAM badge? Like, like really want to go NAM. Everyone, you know, NAM was so cool. Yeah. yeah. It seemed so... Seemed like the ultimate hang, you know. So I, I got a credit card, I put flights on it, hotel, I just stayed down. I mean, I like did the whole
0: It's like an like, investment d- in your career. Yeah. Potentially.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I kind of didn't think much about it. I was just like, I got to do this. Yeah. Open up an airline credit card, and <laughs> just go in, you know. Um, and then, uh, but yeah, basically it was all, it was all, it's valuable, you know. Like Berkeley mm. was valuable. Uh, the, the crew I met was. A really good set of friends. We all bonded together. We all moved to New York together, and then we all started working together. We all either booked our own creative gigs, but we also tried <clears> to find <throat> teaching gigs for one another. Um, we all kind of joined wedding bands. You know, we all mm. formed different wedding bands, and uh, it was just really important. I don't know. It was it was it was a pretty crucial thing to be able to like network there. Yeah. So it was worth the money, basically. Yeah. Yeah worth the money, worth meeting a lot of people from around the world, and, you know, wouldn't trade, still paying it off, but <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't trade it for anything. And when did your relationship with Dana begin? 2010, right as soon as I moved to New York, he was living a couple blocks away from me with another group of friends that were I was really close with, uh, a great bass player named David Ginyard, which, uh, I, we call him DJ. DJ kind of keeps a low profile, but he's in a lot of bands that, mm-hmm. you know, he's in a lot of, he co writes yeah, he's working, man, does a lot of stuff, and uh, he was, Dana was staying with them in their house, and I, had, you know, Dana was kind of a YouTube star at the time, without him even really knowing it, he had like <laughs> one of the first viral drum videos on YouTube, yeah, it, was. it was like Dana Hawkins at the Berkeley Cafe, and amongst my drummer friends, they it was like an unbelievable short, maybe like minute, two minute long video that was just like unhuman. i would never heard any drummer do that. What he was doing was just legendary amongst all my friends. It was <laughs> Dana Hawk. So when I finally met Dana, I was like kind of intimidated, but it kind of worked into this beautiful thing. He was just very approachable and very cool. And he actually was playing a lot of bass. So he was like, man, let's jam on bass, man. You got to show me some stuff. And I was like, well, I don't know, you know, and then he picks up the bass and he, I was like, oh, well, you got to show me some stuff. I mean, Dana's an incredible yeah, bass wow. player. He really <clears throat> is like, that's I, I kind of, Dana's kind of been morphing into a bass player. He plays drums beautifully and he's this amazing, <laughs> you know, he's amazing at any instrument he touches, but he's playing more and more bass, he's got more bass gigs, you know, and they're like <laughs> uh, and well, he, he's always like, man, you gotta learn drums, man, we gotta switch off, I'm like, dude I'm, I can't, like I, I suck like, I work so hard just to be sort of good, man, like, I gotta like yeah. quit this and then go to yeah, so, I met Dana in 2010 uh, I had some tracks started just kind of bringing them over jamming with them, mm. and then I booked a recording session right away, cause I was yeah. like I had a friend that owned a studio, and went into the studio and just started you
0: like video with those ones as well
1: yeah my friend yeah. simon had a had a camera one camera just gotten it he was learning he went to film school and he just had graduated and he had his mark ii canon and he was like oh i was like yeah come take photos of the session he's like no i can take video i was like well yeah sure i mean okay. at the time it's kind of like yeah no that should be cool like for like yeah but photos i really wanted photos you know and then simon had it yeah and the rest is kind of just History. History. Yeah. He just filmed that first session and I put together a really quick rough mix and sent it to Simon and Simon uploaded it to his channel. And in like a day we had like five thousand views, which at the time was like that was kind of the, kind of viral. Well, that's, you that's know, It went around like JoJo views. Mayer had heard like all these cats had heard him. We're like, whoa. And I was like, Oh. So that this was the
0: beginning cool. of really the beginning of that thing. Kind of
1: like the big yeah, the big thing. And then <clears throat> I mean and then I put out an album, kind of... We had a couple other songs that I didn't film, but we uh, put together an album. Yeah. Released that. And then uh, it took a couple months to, like, kind of find time to do the second song. And so it always kind of became this huge break. We do a video every year because it just kind of took time. Like, we were both busy. Yeah. And I still was kind of obsessed about being a sideman. You know, like, I, my own thing kind of just seemed not really realistic or whatever it just kind of seemed fun mm. you know it's like more like a hobby it's like oh yeah maybe it's like the end of the year maybe I'll get together yeah I'd call up Dana do you want to get do another song yeah yeah and it's like once a year we did yeah. it so it was just for fun and then uh and then we kind of stopped and like we both got super busy we, I mean I got busy touring with Elliot Moss uh and then I did that for a year I think and then we kind of me and Dana lost, lost touch because he moved to DC Washington, D.C., and then kind of just lost touch, and so I put, a, I put together another band that I called Emar, and oh, it's okay. kind of like another vehicle for video game music and everything, yeah. and then really it just kind of, it was like the, when I was in L.A., when I started doing the, the Holdsworth thing, um, Dana called me, I think, and I just, like, I picked up, and I just, we hadn't talked in so long, and just talked for like a half an hour, and just caught up, you know, what have you been up to? What have you, oh, well, I'm, L- I'm in LA, playing with Virgil and Holdsworth, what are you doing? He's like, oh man, I'm boxing a lot, <laughs> you know? <laughs> He's been boxing, you know? I was like, well, that's cool, man, like, yeah. wow. <laughs> and so we, I was like, man, you know, wanna make some more music, of course, and then kind of a month goes by, and then I got an offer to play this jazz festival in Holland, and uh, I was gonna do it with Imar, and then I was like, wait, this could be a good launching pad to, like, try to get me and Dana back together and, like, play some more music. and So, yeah, we did it. Yeah. <laughs> Went to Holland and then we recorded it and released it. And uh, there's a lot more music on the way. We we hit the studio a couple times, filmed all the sessions. I think there's about, like, six or seven, uh, probably six videos. Cool. Like, ready to go. They're all edited. And I'm just kind of obsessing about the mixes and yeah. uh,
0: getting that all fine-tuned and tweaked and everything. But, yeah. It seems like in, in maybe the last, like, four or five years, you've kind of really, um, delved deep into the, the visual side of things as well, sure, like the yeah. aesthetics, you know, yeah. there's a definite, um, feel to the things you put out.
1: Well, I, I kind of watched the way the world was changing a little bit, you know, video became more and more popular and...
0: It's how people like access your music, essentially. Yeah,
1: it's like, you know, bands, uh, like Snarky Puppy, are releasing mm. video albums, you know, and, uh... Uh, and yeah it was like I was like man what me and Dana have been doing once a year what if we just kind of what if this next thing that we did we tried to do a video for every song do a video album like yeah. Snarky does and <laughs> all these other uh you know great band. um I think uh Simon actually puts together this thing in New York called a pop-up recording and it's like uh basically it's like it I mean he he goes to the studio and it's like every like a band comes in for an hour and does a song and then so he's been churning out all these i mean yeah. videos are basically just become this like big thing part of our culture yeah and part of how people respond to music i think yeah you know
0: but it, it adds so much more time and effort and money to making to making music i'm sure you you know is just like learning how to do the video software and oh, buying man. hard drives and syncing stuff up and it's a whole other... Uploading things is just it's a like, whole oh. other game.
1: Yeah, it is. That's why I have Simon <laughs> do it for yeah, me. that's I, nice. It, I that's just... Good. He's been my... He's done all my videos. He's been my yeah. right-hand man. So
0: what's kind of your... Where do you... Where are you going and where do you want to go, do you think? Mm. Well, I think...
1: My project with Dana is definitely, like, where I want to move forward with my future my own project. Yeah, you know, it's like I would like to maybe do more of my own thing. As much as I love being a sideman, I and think of
0: so, And so that's bass drums and tracks, live triggers.
1: Yeah, bass drums, tracks. Um Uh it's basically yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm trying to think I'm like is it anything? No, that's it. It's like I run Ableton Live. I have uh tracks automated and mapped in there and I yeah. have a, like a little launch controller that I've been Messing with like you know sometimes I have to kill the click because sometimes we end up going free at the end of a song yeah. and it gets
0: really spacey. So, so, the, so there like, is you know. there is freedom even though there is pre pre recorded material.
1: Yeah, because at the end of the I mean as much as you know I'm I'm good friends with Zach Danziger who runs Edit Bunker and yeah uh, Zach's got such a great improvisational thing yeah. you know it's like unbelievable what he does. Yeah, um, I saw him a few months ago. He came with Tony McCaslin. Did he? Yeah, it's like he, he's 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 an improviser. I always thought of myself as not really that much of an improviser. I'm always much more of a composer. Like I like to kind of lay things out in my brain, even the way I phrase Mm. and create melodies and Like I'm just, I'm going to, I like to be more of a composer. I like to have a a roadmap kind of set in stone. And um, yeah, my own tunes kind of just are that, you know, that roadmap, that shape that I already know kind of Works, and there's some you know. spaces
0: where you can go for an exploration, and, yeah. but you know where there's where you're going eventually.
1: Yeah, it's like, I just say, it just all kind of grew in from this, like, this canvas of, like, having a tonal center, like A-flat, Lydian. Mm. Programming synths that are arpeggios and putting effects like reverb and all these things on that canvas. Having a blank slate of just A-flat, Lydian, and then, like, last, putting the bass to it and changing the phrases based on like 4 8 bar or even 16 bar, you know, chord, like uh, progressions, which I kind of learned that structure from playing with Wayne Krantz a bunch. It was like, even though it's improvisational, everything has to be kind of structured in these 4 or 8s or 16s to yeah. give it some sort of sense of composition so you yeah, yeah, you know. And so it, the notes can go anywhere within that 8 flat Lydian, mm. as long as that's somewhere in like 8 bar, you just like, you create a phrase and a structure of it cool and so i just kind of mess around with that at home and a lot of my tunes started like that really. Yeah. but that's what i want to be able to do is me and dana more yep you know and we have a european i'm working on a european tour right now trying to uh, for right now we're we're taking it to dublin we're taking it to rome cool. i'm hoping to add more dates in the fall you know uh if you go to dublin island you should go to scotland i know i have a friend who in edinburgh am I saying that right Edinburgh? Edinburgh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I have a I have a friend up there who's like there's some uh base thing up there. I call I call, you know, college or something that's yep. like uh he's he's trying, you know, he's he's working on it for yeah. me. I the demand I, I mean I put out the feelers on Facebook just to see who all, all in the world is out there listening and there's a lot of demand for it. So I'm just and trying the cool to thing see is it's a duo, right? It's a duo. It's, too it's nice. Yeah. You know, it's just like gotta find a drum set in most places and a, a bass amp yeah I can always find that it's yeah. gotta find a basically whoever we get as an opening band it's like can we use your gear <laughs> quickly just like real fast yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, but yeah it's it's a it's a fun project it's easy to mix too so like if we have different front of house engineers yeah. you know they're you not feel, too do confused. you feel like having been a
0: sideman for so much and and, um, and doing all kind of thing that you've You've obviously absorbed a lot from like playing with Queen Krantz and all that kind of stuff. And you feel, Definitely. do you feel really ready now to kind of step out and be, this is this is me, this is my thing?
1: I think I'm now ready.
0: Yeah, like, it's taken me a long time to kind of get world, comfortable. <laughs> yeah. So to speak, you know, because you obviously online and then you're pretty well established in that regard. But in terms of a live, people coming and buying tickets. Yeah. It's a different story. It's a different
1: story. So. Yeah. But, you know, traveling to other countries as a sideman with people, I always end up meeting other people who are like, oh, I came here, to, uh, I'm a bass player, Like, you know, I'd like to get a lesson with you or something. I'm like, okay, well, there's people who are coming to these shows who kind of know me. Uh, maybe yeah. it's like some way, somehow, this can just keep growing. You know, it's like if I can keep the online thing going, I mean, the online thing is you can reach everyone. Uh, and if you can just kind of... Touring is another thing, though. Touring is like where you really hook people and make real fans. I think. Yeah, that's the that's the real difference. And also gonna puts you on, and,
0: on the map as an artist as well. I think if you can go, you know, we've been on tours or we've been on the road, like it kind of a little bit of kudos, kind of there.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's that's what I'm hoping for, man. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a fun year. Yeah. A lot of new music, a lot of tours. Uh, you know. Can't wait to see where it goes. Honestly,
0: yeah, It'd be man, I'm sure it'll be awesome. you should probably wrap it up there. Yeah, there we go. Cool. Yeah,
1: all right. Thanks, man. Thanks, Craig. Appreciate it. Thank you, dude. Have a and everybody. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Bye, everyone. <See> yeah. <laughs>
0: Hey guys i hope you enjoyed the interview with evan there um i really appreciate you listening to these podcasts and as always um, any help that you can give with spreading the word is greatly appreciated so if you can leave a review or share these episodes on social media, that would be fantastic um, and again, thank you to the sponsors of this podcast Bass Face Strings and F Bass. and finally, one more thank you to Evan for taking the time out to sit down with me and, and do this interview, so go over to evanmarion.com and, um, and get yourself some Evan music in your life. Okay guys, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.